the RBC, fear not. So great to uh, add my own welcome to you. So glad that you're here uh, in person, online. Uh, this morning, we're going to turn the spotlight on a person in the Bible that I'm going to guess you know really well. Uh, and this person is named Mary. In fact, there's a really good chance uh, that you have already placed Mary beside the manger, beside Joseph in your nativity scene. But could it be that the, the woman we know so well is, is Mother Mary? And have we forgotten about what it's like to be teenaged Mary, scared out of her mind by God. A teenage girl who's confronted with the word of God in an unforgettable way and is asked to not be afraid of the word of God, to not be afraid of what God is asking her to do. This morning, I invite you to turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And I want us to see that, you know, there's, there's only one Mary, of course, but I think you and I have more in common with Mary than we sometimes realize. What I want us to see is Mary is not a figure frozen in a nativity scene. And we're not frozen figures either. The God who comes to Mary comes to us and surprises us with an opportunity to obey his word. And so the question is, how will Mary respond and how will we respond to the word of God? Well, we'll start with Mary as we look at Luke chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 26. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. God bless the reading of his word. One of the most powerful kinds of question that we ever hear in life begins with two words. What if? What if? Recently, I was getting some new tires uh, for my car, and I liked the guy who was selling them, and, uh, and we had a pretty good rapport. And when it came time to total everything up, he kind of showed me the screen and, and uh, there, were, there was a lot on the screen uh, and the numbers were larger than I wanted them to be. And then he said, kind of at the bottom, he said, and then if you'd like, we could add this charge and, and, and this charge would mean that you could get your tires repaired for free if anything goes wrong with them for the life of the tire. And I saw that amount on the screen and there were already a lot of numbers above it. And, uh, and I said, no, 
uh, I, I thought to myself, not for the first time, I will take my chances. That's what I said to myself. But then the guy I was interacting with, he said, hey, what if I knocked X dollars off that charge at the bottom? Would you do it then? And suddenly I found myself thinking about all the crazy construction that's going on my, uh, my street right now. Don't go anywhere near Plantation Drive and Capel. But I thought about all the construction and I found myself, after the what if, I found myself saying yes. Now, maybe that makes me an easy mark. Probably that makes me an easy mark, okay? Uh, but, but it was really interesting uh, to me that he used a very important question and that question was, what if? What if? That what if question introduced new information. In fact, that question ended up taking me from a soft no to a rather surprising yes. Now, your mileage may vary when it comes to tires. Honestly, I'm not here to talk to you about tires. I'm here to talk to you about the word of God. How many times do you and I look, not at the, the screen in the tire place, but we look at God's word and we read something there at the bottom and we read it and it, it makes a, a very challenging request of us. It asks something of us. It asks us to pay a price, so to speak. And we politely say to God, no thanks. No thanks. You know, over the course of my ministry, I've had people say to me, in essence, uh, yeah, I'll come talk to you. Yeah, I, I would take some counseling from you, uh, free counseling. You get what you pay for, right? But, 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 but as long as you don't quote any scripture at me. In other words, to the demands of God's word, they say a polite no thank you. So I want you to think of me this morning, a gospel preacher, as something like your, your tire salesman today. Only, I'm not trying to get you to buy anything. What, I'm, what, I'm, what I want to ask you is, is, would you take God at his word? I'm trying to get all of us, my, beginning with me, I'm trying to get all of us to take God's word more seriously. To, to not be afraid of responding positively to the word of God. Because so often our instinctive reaction is, no thank you, what I want to do is I want to offer you a series of what-ifs today. I want to offer you some valuable perspective that the angel Gabriel offered to Mary. And then we'll see ultimately the ball is going to be in Mary's court. Ultimately the ball is going to be in our court and we'll see how we respond. But first of all, a little bit of context. If you were with us last week, uh, we found ourselves arguably in the holiest spot on a map of Israel in the first century. Last week, we found ourselves in the holy city, Jerusalem, the holiest place in that city, uh, the magnificent uh, temple that Herod built. And then we found ourselves in the holy place right next to the holy of holies, not in it, but right next to the holy of holies. We hung out with a priest named Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Well, this week, we could not be farther <laughs> from that holy place in Jerusalem. This week we find ourselves in a region that would have been considered <clears throat> by Jews in that day 
is one of the least holy regions that you could find in Israel. In fact, you may have heard us say this before, but uh, Mary's uh, hometown of Nazareth did not have a reputation for holiness. In fact, one of Jesus' disciples, before he was Jesus' disciples, uh, when he heard about Jesus being from Nazareth, he asked the question in John 1, can anything good come out of Nazareth? One commentator, Joel Green, said that Nazareth was considered insignificant, despised, and unclean. I put that on a brochure. Uh, in, insignificant, despised, and unclean. And yet, in this very unlikely setting, something incredibly holy is taking place. Six months or so after God intervened powerfully in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, this same angel Gabriel shows up in Mary's hometown. And, and, and listen to what, the, uh, what happens in verse 26. Verse 26 says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. The angel comes to greet, as verse 27 will put it, a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. That word virgin signals two things. First of all, Mary was a young girl of marriageable age. And get this, you want to know what marriageable age was? 12, 13. Second and more common meaning of the word virgin then and now was that she had not been intimate with a man. So to this insignificant teenage girl in this insignificant and indeed looked down upon city, the angel Gabriel appears with no warning and, and, and presents Mary with words that are otherworldly. And I think what the angel does is really present a series of what-if questions. And so the first what-if question is this. What if God favors you, Mary? What if God favors you? What if you are highly favored by God? You know, that word for favor in the New International Version is the same word for grace. Uh, Look with me at verse 28. The angel went to her, Mary, and said, greetings, You who are highly favored, you who are highly graced, the Lord is with you. Maybe you've heard the the Dewey Rhymes, the the Catholic uh, uh, translation before. It, It says, instead of greetings, it says, Hail Mary, full of grace, highly favored, full of grace. Now, ultimately, the angel's gonna make a request to Mary. We know that, right? But long before the request is given, the angel's words to Mary, and I would say by extension to us, cause us to ask this question. What if God favors us? What if, get this, what if God's grace precedes God's demands? In fact, what if the demands of God are really just a part of his grace to us anyway? What if God outfits us before God deploys us? What if God fills our bucket with grace before he asks us to go out and share that grace and love with others? What if, friends, what if God favors you? You know, I think so many people that I talk to live with a mistaken sense of the opposite. So many people think that God fundamentally disfavors us. 
In fact, many of us assume that if an angel were to come to us out of the blue and speak on behalf of God, the first words of the angel would be, hey, knucklehead, what's wrong with you? Right? A little flick on the ear, maybe. God's done with you. You are on your own. So many people are living under God's disfavor. Now, yes, God is angry, is angered by our sin, right? Definitely. But that doesn't change the underlying love that God has for us. So friends, let me just ask you the question, what if? What if God favors you? What if John 3.16 is true? What if God so loved the whole world, including you and me, that he sent Jesus to give his life for us, to live, to die, and to rise again? You know, as I read verse 28, there is not one bit of bad news in the whole verse. God is initiating a conversation with Mary. God is pouring his grace into Mary's lap. God is promising to be with Mary. The Lord is with you. But still, Mary responds with perplexity, and so would we. We're not picking on Mary here. So would we. Nothing in Mary's life could have prepared her for this moment. And yet, the angel doesn't back down. In fact, look what the angel says in in verses 30 and, and 31. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, once again, grace with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Right? There's the theme of the series, as John mentioned. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of God's word. Do not be afraid of what God asks us to do. And then... You have found favor. The angel doubles down on grace. But the angel does something else, right? Beginning in verse 31. And it causes us to ask a second question. And that is not only what if God favors us, but secondly, what if God is enlisting you and me? You see, favoring is one thing, but enlisting kicks it up a notch, doesn't it? And yet that's exactly what is happening in verses 31 uh, to 33. Gabriel basically says, Mary, your heavenly father has chosen you to give birth to his son, Jesus. Mary, God is enlisting you to make holy history. God is enlisting you to extend his kingdom on earth. And remember, this is a kingdom that never ends. Now, yes, as we've said, there's only one human being that has ever gotten picked for this unique assignment, okay? This one's not going to happen again. Uh, There's only one Mary. But, 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 But get this. Every one of us who call Jesus Lord, every one of us is taught to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every one of us is enlisted in God's kingdom, Like Mary, every one of us who have invited Jesus into our hearts is a citizen in a heavenly kingdom that will never fail, that will never fall. I think it was uh, uh, Edward Gibbon who started the trend of uh, putting three words in the title of a history book, the rise and fall, uh, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, uh, or much more recently, the rise and fall of the Third Reich. Or sadly, uh, there's even a, a podcast out on the rise and fall of a church in Seattle. I mean, that's, that, that's a product of sin, right? The, the, the rise and fall. That, that's, that's a product of human frailty, the rise and fall. 
But guess what? When it comes to the kingdom of God, there's no rise and fall. It's just rise and rise and rise and rise and rise. And you and I get to invest in that. You and I get to play a part in that. Just as Mary literally bears Jesus, we spiritually bear Jesus to the world. We get to be a part of his kingdom. We get enlisted. Every time you love someone in Jesus' name, every time you serve someone in Jesus' name, every time you speak loving truth to someone in the name of Jesus, every time you speak or demonstrate the gospel in Jesus' name, you participate in a never-ending kingdom. God has enlisted you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to a, a professional baseball game and seen Boys and girls line up really close to the baseball diamond, like right by the, 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 where the dugout entrance is. And what are they doing? Maybe they brought a, a baseball glove and a Sharpie, and they're trying to make contact, maybe with their favorite baseball player, or maybe just any baseball player, or the ball boy, or somebody. They're trying to make contact, aren't they? And, and, and their deepest desire in that moment is to have somebody sign their baseball glove so that the next day they can go to school and bring their glove and say, look, look here, look here. For 10 seconds, I interacted with baseball royalty. And I got to tell you, I have a hard time, you know, refraining from taking a baseball glove to a baseball game. I mean, that, that, that little boy is still, is still inside of me. And if people wouldn't laugh at me, I probably would bring a glove to the game. But all for that 10 seconds, right? And the king of kings says to us, guess what? I want to enlist you in my kingdom, talk about royalty. <laughs> I want to enlist you in my kingdom, not for 10 seconds, but for eternity. Not just to sit in the stands, but to come out on the field of play. There's only one Mary to be sure, but we all carry Jesus in our hearts. We are all offered the privilege, like Mary, to follow him, suffer with him, and reign with him in a kingdom that, as verse 33 says, will never end. What if, friends? What if God not only favors you, what if he's actively recruiting you, enlisting you? Now Mary, of course, is still struggling to process. I mean, because this is good news, but this good news is gonna seriously dent her life. There's gonna be so much grief before there is joy, and then a lot more grief before there is greater joy. And she can't figure it out, and so she asks a very natural question uh, about this supernatural operation. She, she uses the word that we would all use. She uses the word how. Right? How. And as often happens in the Bible, how questions are answered with a whom. Right? Mary says, how, and what, what does the angel say back in verse 35? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will, you will be called the Son of God. How, Mary says, who, the angel answers. Not how, but who, the Holy Spirit. Not gonna explain to you how the process is gonna work. I'm just gonna point you to the author, Arthur is what we say in Texas. I'm just gonna point you to the author of the process, uh, the author of the process, which is the Holy Spirit. Don't you find great comfort in that? I mean, because so often we tend to pelt God with a lot of how questions, don't we? 
how am I supposed to survive leading in a pandemic? Okay, all right. How, how am I going to survive this job? Uh, Lord, it's bad enough to deal with hurting kids, but hurting parents too. How? How am I going to do this? How? 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 And God answers the how with a who. The Holy Spirit is going to come on you too. It's as if the angel is saying, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit, Mary. The Spirit is creative. The same Spirit that hovered over chaos in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, is going to hover over you and give birth to Jesus. What if, friends? What if? Let me give you a third what if question. What if God is trustworthy? What if God is trustworthy? Because I think if, if I'm Mary at this point, I'm saying, wait, you, you want me to do what? <laughs> I mean, God, you, you know I love you, but seriously? And, and I don't know about you, but to a much lesser extent, that's how I often feel when I read the words of Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus, you, you want me to do what? You, you want me to give generously, but not let anybody know I'm giving? I mean, that's double the pain, the pain of giving and the pain of people not knowing. What, you, you want me to do what? You want me to not worry about even the basics of life, like what I'll eat or drink or wear? Lord, you want me to not to judge them? How are they going to know your wrath if I don't judge them? Right? I mean, look at what they're doing. You want me to not worry about what I'm going to say in a pressure-packed situation, but just trust the Holy Spirit to give me the words? What? When I'm persecuted, you want me to rejoice? You want me to pray and pray and pray and never give up? Even when it feels like none of my prayers are being answered? You want me to love and bless my enemies? Lord, you want me to do what? And maybe after we get over the shock of it all, somewhere our mind thinks, okay, okay, let's imagine for a moment, Lord, that I do choose to take you up on your crazy plans. How do I know you're trustworthy? How can I not fear your word? How can I know that your word can be trusted? And I think in response to that natural question, the angel Gabriel has two things to say. First, Gabriel says, Mary, look for signs of God's activity already at work in your world. And what did that mean for Mary? It meant getting in touch with Elizabeth. She hadn't gotten a Christmas card from Elizabeth, and she had no idea that her ancient relative was six months pregnant. Look around. Look around with eyes of faith. I think when, when we do, God is going to open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, and we're going to begin to see God's hand at work around us. Look around. But then the angel does something else uh, to assure Mary of God's trustworthiness. The angel makes a promise to Mary about the nature of God's word. I want you to, to look at this verse, verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail. Isn't that amazing? We might need to put that on our refrigerators for this Advent. For no word from God will ever fail. God's word can be trusted. 
They call it artificial intelligence for a reason, friends. <laughs> I'm gonna double down and say, for no word from God will ever fail. <laughs> God's word can be trusted. You know, when I was a kid, I. I so often heard the Bible described as God's rule book. You ever heard that before? God's rule book. Kind of like you're, you're opening up the board game, you take the box off, and there's this little, uh, little kind of folded piece of paper at the top, and it's kind of like, that's the Bible. That's, that's the rule book. That's how you play the game of Monopoly. No, that's how you play the game of life. And listen, the Bible certainly has its share of rules. I'm looking at you, Ten Commandments, right? Uh, uh, so... So, so the Bible definitely contains many, many, many commandments from God. But I think to call the Bible God's rule book does it a disservice. Because the Bible is so much more than a rule book. I mean, we have lots of rule books in the world. They're important, but they're not necessarily brimming with divine power. You know what? I prefer to think of the Bible more as God's seed book. God's seed book. And if you're wondering where I got that image, I'm ripping it off straight from Jesus. Jesus tells a parable in Mark 4 uh, about a farmer who's planting seed. And then Jesus interprets the parable for us in Mark 4, 14. And he says, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word. The psalmist in Psalm 1 says the person who meditates and, and, and whose life is shaped by the word of God, they're like a tree planted by an underground stream. The Bible is God's seed book. And all these little unassuming little acorns of divine truth that we prayerfully read and apply to our lives, they have the potential of growing into towering oak trees in our life and in our world. When God's truth is planted in our lives, growth happens. And I think that's where Mary finds herself. I remember a few moments ago when I told you about the tire salesman, he, he, he puts out an offer, I look at it, I don't like it, and I say no, and then he poses a what if, and I cave really quickly, right? I cave, I say yes. Well, that silly little story was just a framework for us to consider some really big questions today, really big what if questions. What if God is gracious to you? What if God wants you to participate in his divine plans right now in December of 2021? What if God's challenging word can be trusted? What will you do? Will you still say no? Will you still say no thank you? Or will you respond like Mary did? Because Mary basically responded this way. If all that's true, God, then let your word happen to me. Let your word happen in my life. Don't you love it? I think Mary responds in two beautiful and powerful ways in verse 38. 
Unlike last week, Zechariah, John the Baptist, dad, he, he kind of went toward unbelief for a season. But Mary did the opposite. I, I love this verse. I, I think about this verse all the time. I often pray this verse for myself. Um, you know what? I take it back. Put this on your refrigerator. Uh, you can put uh, the other verse too. But, 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 but listen to what Mary says. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. It says two very important things. First of all, I'm the Lord's servant. She tells us about her identity. Right? Now we need to know that word servant, sometimes in our culture, it, it, uh, inexplicably, it's, 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 it's a word sometimes we look down on. I don't know why, but we do. But, but to be known as the Lord's servant and to be known as a servant in general from a, a biblical worldview is the highest honor we can attain to. She says, here's my identity. I am your servant. And then she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Um, or as some translations put it, let it be to me according to your word. You know what I think Mary's really saying here? What I think she's saying here is, Lord, let me be your science fair experiment. How many of you have ever done a science fair experiment for your kids? Uh, or, 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 okay, all right, okay, yeah. Um, I wonder if we can be honest over here. Anybody ever bought the trifold the night before this, the experiment was due? Okay, thank you for that. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Um, you know, in a science fair experiment, you're, you're putting a hypothesis together, and then you're going to do the experiment. You're going to see whether the hypothesis is true or false. Uh, I found this one on, uh, on BuzzFeed I thought was interesting. A boy named Benjamin Logan was trying to determine whether Cheetos crunch or puffs or twists made your fingers more orange. Isn't that, uh, isn't that valuable science? A study in the degrees of orange fingers by Benjamin Logan, a cheesy, a cheesy mess. Uh, man, wow. I think what Mary is saying is, Lord, I wanna be your science experiment. I, I want to test the truthfulness of your hypothesis, so to speak. I want to take your word into my body. I want to take the chance that your word is creative and your word is true, and I'm going to be your trifold board for the whole world. I'm going to become what you call me to be. And friends, that is why Christians today all over the world uh, not just Catholics, but Protestants to honor Mary so highly because ultimately she was not afraid of God's word. She was not afraid to humble herself and let God take control. And the question for us right now is, are we? In fact, maybe, maybe as you think about the bottom of the screen, right? Back to my tire salesman thing. Maybe there's something that God's been revealing to you and the question is, what am I going to do with that? Do I see myself as God's servant? Right? Is there a place God's asking me to follow his lead? Is there a truth from God that God is asking me to take seriously? Am I willing to let his word be planted in my life? Will I shrink back in fear? Or will I spring forward in faith? 
Church, in our hearts, in our hearts, silently, let's agree. We are the Lord's servants. We've been highly favored by God. He's poured his grace into us. We are God's science experiment, so let it happen in us, Lord. Overcome our fear. Let your word sprout in us right now as we pray. Lord, thank you for Mary. Thank you, Lord, for her humility. Thank you for her obedience. But Lord, we thank you even more for Jesus who's given us this grace, who's poured his grace all over us and then invited us to follow him and to be a part of this kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you for the privilege. We confess our cowardice in the past. And Lord, I ask right now that you would bring to mind those areas of obedience and disobedience in our life that you'd fill us with courage, you'd fill us with faith, that we might live as your servants and be obedient as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.